Good evening. It is 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. This is webyeshiva.org, and it's time to begin our regular shiur in halacha. Uh, we're talking about kol isha, and uh, up till this point, we've seen the primary sources in the in the Mishnah and Gemara, and uh, based on the primary sources which we learned, we saw that there is a prohibition for men to hear the singing voice of women. Uh, when it comes to the question of defining exactly what is a singing voice, uh, uh, well, uh, that was not exactly obvious. We have a number of possibilities in, in defining the difference between speaking and singing. And uh, uh, although we came to no specific conclusion about how to define song, as opposed, to, as opposed to speaking, we were left with the conclusion that it has to do primarily with the amount of muscular control involved. In uh, ordinary speech requires less muscular control over the arg organs of articulation, the, the diaphragm and so forth and so on. When you sing, you need much finer muscular control over the sounds you are producing. If you exercise and you get out of breath, uh, you could still speak, but you can't sing anymore because since you're exercising and your heart is beating fast and, you're, and, you're, and your, lungs are, your lungs are working very hard, you lose, the, you lose the fine, precise muscular control over the organs of articulation and uh, you lose your ability to sing while you're, while you're exercising vigorously. So, in any event, the conclusion was, no doubt about it, the pro men are prohibited from hearing the women's uh, singing voice. We did say that according to some of the earlier authorities, back in the days of the Gaonim and so forth, there were those who held that the whole prohibition is limited to uh, uh, Kriyashma, when men are reading Shema Yisrael, reciting Shema Yisrael, that requires complete concentration and focus on what you are doing and uh, and uh, uh, anything which will be distracting is of course prohibited there's a long list of things which are which are prohibited during Kriyashma because they are distracting and you have to focus your attention on, on what you're saying and uh, the singing voice of women is one of them um, the uh, 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 Although that opinion existed in the earlier sources, that is not an opinion which was embraced by the Acheronim, and that's an opinion which has sort of fallen by the wayside in earlier times. You know, the Gemara and the early halachic literature is chock full of controversies. There's not a single page of Gemara which is free of controversy. Uh, and, and some opinions uh, back from those days uh, were, were rejected in the course of halachic development. And, uh, and uh, of course, one cannot go back retroactively and rely upon those, those opinions which have been rejected. Uh, let me give you a conceptual understanding of what's going on here. The name of the principle in Hebrew is halacha ki acharon, 
let's get that typed correctly on chat. When in the course of the generations, an opinion is rejected and another opinion is accepted, halacha always follows the more recent uh, status, the more recent consensus of the rabbis. If you think about it for a moment, you will realize that the principle, the methodology of halacha ke'acharon, that you always have to follow the, the most recent consensus of the rabbis, this idea, this methodology implies, more than implies, absolutely requires that one understand the history of halacha as a growing, evolving, de- developing system, Halacha develops over a period of time, and it's always halacha ka'acharon, the most current state of halacha, which predominates, which is normative. Uh, this is lahavdil, no different than other systems of law in, in uh, whatever system of, of, of non-Jewish law we're talking about. You could just imagine a case where, where a lawyer uh, defending his criminal defending a criminal uh, uh, defendant. A lawyer appears before the judge and says to the judge, judge, it's true that my client committed the crime exactly as he is accused of doing. Uh, But judge, uh, uh, 200 years ago in our country, the law was different. And 200 years ago, the law in our country permitted what my client did. Please decide the case not in accord with current law, but please decide the case in accord with the way the law was 200 years ago. You hear the absurdity. You hear the absurdity of this position when legal systems, whether it's halacha or lahavdil, any other legal system, when a system develops, evolves, changes in the course of time, it's always the current, uh, the current uh, status, the current consensus of the, uh, of the jurists uh, current the current consensus of the uh, of the poskim, which uh, which is normative, which determines what the actual halacha is. Now, uh, uh, this might make some people, like me, a little bit unhappy. Uh, even if I'm a little bit unhappy about the consensus of contemporary rabbis on this point or that point, well. Uh, well, well, too bad. I mean, that's just the way it is, and 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 uh, and, and and one must one must one must conform to the current consensus of thinking among the great rabbis. Does no good to go back to a to an idea which existed hundreds hundreds of years ago, a millennia ago, or whatever. In any event, halacha ke'acharon, and therefore the prohibition of the singing voice of women applies to. Um, applies whether you're engaged in the Kedusha activity of reading Shema Yisrael or not. It's a general flat-out prohibition for men to hear the women's singing voice. Then we proceeded to the question of Zmirot Shabbat, uh, to the question of, um, of, of holy songs, for example, singing, singing uh, uh, Zmirot Shabbat around the Shabbos table. And uh, we saw there a, uh, an opinion of the Sridi Aish that, uh, that uh, uh, since this is a Ma'amad Shel Kedusha, since the Shabbos Zmiris around the Shabbos table are, 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 a, are, a, are a situation of Kedusha, so there's no reason to think that the men's uh, attention is going to be attracted erotically to the women. They are engaged after all 
in, uh, in, in praising God, in thanking God. They're, they're engaged in, in prayerful song. That's what Zmirot Shabbat are all about. There's no particular reason to think there's going to be any eroticism there combined with the fact that you have multiple voices simultaneously. And when you have multiple voices, uh, most people uh, are unable to identify exactly uh, which voice is contributing what to the, to, the, to the total mix. And therefore, being unable to identify uh, the, the sources of the different voices uh, is another reason for leniency. After all, the Gemara taught us that on Rosh Hashanah, you have to hear one shofar and not two shofarot blowing simultaneously on, on, on Purim. You have to hear the Megillah read. You can't hear two people reading the Megillah out loud simultaneously because you can't focus on one voice. When you hear two sounds together, it, most people find it difficult. Well, many people find it impossible to focus on one voice and ignore the other. Well, well uh, uh, bottom line, the Sridiyash found some room for leniency <coughs> based on these ideas plus the idea that uh, uh, it was the great German rabbis who introduced the leniency for women singing Zmirot Shabbat together with the families around the table, and they were the rabbis who were eminently successful in transmitting Torah Judaism to the next generation. They, they figured out a method that works. And therefore, the Tzitzeliezer came to the conclusion that there is room to be lenient, He's not so enthusiastic about it, <laughs> but there is room to be lenient and permit men and women to sing Zmirot Shabbat together or any, any songs of a holy nature uh, to be able to, to allow them to sing together. Uh, uh, he realized that this is all very innovative and all a great leniency, and therefore he concluded that, of course, uh, anyone who wishes to refrain from involvement in a situation where men and women are singing Zmirot Shabbat together, of course, there's no reason to compel anyone. There's no reason to force anyone to participate in an event where there's going to be mixed singing. That's, that's not right. But those who choose to participate, yesh lehem al there is what to rely upon. There are sources to rely upon. And therefore, he came to his leading conclusion. Uh, at the end of last week's Shi'ur, we turned to the question of, uh, of uh, the disembodied voice of women. Let's see if we get this on the screen. Yes, uh, the disembodied voice of women. We saw then the opinion of the uh, Helkes Yaakov, Rav Breish, the last of the, of the, of the great uh, Hasidic poskim in Europe. He was, uh, he was in Switzerland. And uh, he, uh, he took the position that even though the voice of the singing woman on the radio or, or television transmission, whatever it is, the disembodied voice, of a, a woman's voice being transmitted by radio or on a recording is equally prohibited. You don't need the woman's physical presence 
in order to prohibit her singing voice. Uh, and, and he came to this conclusion because what it says in the Gemara, and uh, all the poskim agree, anything which is prohibited by the halacha because of erotic stimulation, for example, gazing upon an undressed woman, anything which is prohibited because of erotic uh, uh, stimulation, uh, it doesn't matter wh whether the woman is physically present, as the Gemara says, even if you only see her reflection in a mirror. It's not, it's not really the woman, it's only her reflection, but still, gazing upon it can be an erotically stimulating uh, uh, event for the man who is gazing, just like uh, gazing upon the, 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 the person, the, 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 the woman when she's undressed. And therefore, he came to the conclusion that the disembodied voice of the woman singing, whether it's on a recording or, um, or, uh, or a radio transmission or whatever, is equally prohibited with, uh, with equally prohibited um, uh, to, uh, her, her singing voice when she's physically present. That's the strict position regarding recordings, recording radio, that's a strict opinion regarding recordings, regarding uh, 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 radio transmissions and so forth and so on. Now we turn to the lenient opinion regarding the disembodied voice. We come now to the lenient opinion regarding uh, radio transmissions and recordings. The authority we're about to look at is the Tzitz Eliezer. Um, the, uh, the Tzitz Eliezer, his name was Eliezer Yehuda Waldenberg, one of the great posts of Eretz Israel in the 20th century. And he, uh, he was for many, many years the head of the Beddin Hagadol, the leading uh, rabbinic court in Israel, which was the leading rabbinic court of the Rabbi Nut HaRashit Israel. He was not the chief rabbi, but he was the, the, the chief dayan in the Beddin of the chief rabbinut. In any event, he was an extraordinarily influential uh, authority, wrote about uh, just about every issue imaginable in halacha, quite, quite prolific. Let's see what he has to say about recordings of women singing or radio transmissions. These are his words. If, if the woman is not physically present, it's only the voice. Only the voice is heard. Only the voice comes before the man. All the man hears is her voice, but there's no physical woman. It's only a recording. It's only a radio transmission. Azai mutar, then it's okay, no problem at all. Mikevan, because lo yucha lavolistakelba, because he cannot come to gaze upon her. She's not physically present. And 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 uh, yeah, this idea might not have occurred to you previously. Uh, we've not mentioned it previously, but according to Tzitzeliezer. The whole problem of kol isha, the whole problem of hearing the singing voice of the woman, is it might lead to the man gazing upon the woman, erotic staring. That's ogling. That's the whole problem. And if she's not physically present, it's only a recording. It's only a, 
It's only uh, radio transmission. There's, there's, there's no possibility of erotic staring because she's simply not, not present. She might not, even, might not even be alive anymore if it's a recording. Uh, he goes on and says, and you notice I skipped a part of his chuva. I began with paragraph Aleph and I skipped the paragraph Hey. Uh, 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 I've condensed the chuva greatly. Ode, fervor. Zot shahakol hu al radio. The fact that the that the sound, the voice, comes by radio transmission or by an electronic recording. It would seem to be an additional reason for leniency. No. Uh, 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 as far, uh, someone asked privately on chat, well, what about, uh, what about uh, a, a woman's choir or a mixed choir? Well, uh, according to these opinions, no, real, no room for leniency whatsoever. The only little room for leniency we saw in a, a woman's choir, multiple voices together, or a mixed choir, multiple voices together. The only little room we saw for leniency in that was the Sridiyesh, which we saw at the end of last week's Shi'ur. Uh, since most people would not be able to identify one specific voice, and we're talking about a Ma'amad Shel Kedushah, we're talking about a, a holy enterprise. Let's get that typed on chat. Ma'amad uh, Shel Kedushah, a situation which is oriented to holiness. They're singing religious songs in praise of God, thanking God, and so forth and so on. If, if, there's, a, if there's an element of Kedusha in the song, and it's uh, mixed voices, multiple voices singing simultaneously, there, there's some room for leniency, according to the Tzitzeliezer uh, in the situations he was describing. We saw that at the end of last week's Shi'ur. In any event, uh, as far as recordings are concerned, Tzitzeliezer is lenient. Number one, we saw because uh, there is no possibility of staring. There is no possibility of uh, erotic contemplation here. There is no possibility of ogling. She might not even be alive anymore if it's a recording. Furthermore, an additional reason. If you hear a, a recording, you listen to a recording, or you listen to a radio transmission, it's not really the voice of a woman you are hearing. What is it that you hear in a radio broadcast? What is it that you hear when you listen to a recording? What do you hear now when you listen to me? Ella ovrim keshetef kama gilgolim, the voice of the original person, my original voice, undergoes with great speed immediately, with the, the quickest of speeds. My voice undergoes several changes. First, uh, my voice goes into the microphone. There's my microphone. Then uh, the microphone transforms my voice into an electronic signal. The electronic signal gets uh, forward into this box over here, which is my, uh, which is my uh, computer. 
What happens after that, I really don't know. But a lot of th a lot of things happen until eventually the signal comes out at your end. But it's not my voice you are hearing. It's my voice has gone through many changes uh, very very quickly. It might be almost simultaneous what you hear. You, 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 the voice, what you hear, the, it might be simultaneous, almost simultaneous with my voice, but it's not really my voice. It's a, it's a tiny bit later, a tiny bit displaced in time because my voice underwent a huge number of electronic changes by the time it came out in your house. Same thing with any recorded song, same thing with any radio transmission. The, uh, the sound of the voice is reproduced in your home. And he uses the term havara. It's rather like an echo. What you hear has this halachic status, not of the original sound, but what you hear has the halachic status of an echo. Now, now this, this is quite an interesting point. After all, the, the Gemara says that on Rosh Hashanah, you have to hear the shofar. And that means that if you are in the mountains and what you heard was an echo of a shofar, someone blew the shofar in the mountains and you heard the echo, well, you didn't hear the shofar at all. Uh, what you heard was the echo and that's not a fulfillment of the mitzvah at all. You, you have to hear the shofar and not an echo. Well, well, if the echo of the shofar is not the sound of shofar, then uh, the sound of my voice, which you are hearing now, is not really my voice. If, for example, it were Purim, and I would be reading the Megillah now, you would not be fulfilling your obligation to hear the Megillah because you're not really hearing my voice. You're just hearing a, a mechanical reproduction of my voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what you point out on chat regarding the Roman general is true not only about him, but anyone who is who's really very sensitive to music, anyone who's really very musical uh, does hear exactly the difference between each voice. Uh, so, some, someone who is very musical can listen to a, a, a symphony orchestra, 20, 30, 40 uh, musicians all playing together, and, and you know exactly uh, which one of those musicians has poor intonation? Uh, but but you need a really good ear for that. Most people's ears are not are not are not uh, are not that good. Most people really can't tell. Bottom line, Tzitzeliezer is proposing the following very interesting and important idea. Um, when uh, uh, when uh, you hear my voice at the moment, it's not really my voice you are hearing. You're hearing an electronic reproduction of my voice. Uh, 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 and then he says, Rav Tolidano, one of the great Moroccan rabbis, was wrong when he described what happens in a radio transmission or recording. Uh, Rav Tolidano seems to think that if someone is uh, is uh, is speaking on the radio, reading the news on the radio, Rav Tolidano seemed to think that somehow 
the, the speaker's voice goes into the microphone and, and somehow comes out the other end. But that's not really what happens. Uh, it's simply wrong. It's, not, it's, it's just not correct facts. The voice coming out at your end in your home is not really my voice. It's an electronic reproduction. Rav Toledano is simply wrong on the facts. Well, well, if call Isha in a recording, the singing voice of a woman in a recording, or um, or uh, in a radio transmission, <coughs> is not actually, not really, the voice of a woman. It's just an imitation of a voice of a woman. That's another reason for leniency, and therefore. He is forced to the conclusion, yeah, it's disembodied. That's true. That, that's, that's true. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you sympathize with the, with the reasoning of the Tzitzeliezer. But, but think about it for a moment. How would the previous source, you remember the Helkis Yaakov that we ended with last time, and I just reviewed briefly this time, the one who said the disembodied voice of the woman is equally prohibited to the physical voice because... Just like you're not allowed to gaze upon uh, the, the physical body of an undressed woman, so you're not allowed to gaze upon the, the, the undressed uh, woman in, in a mirror. Uh, from, from the erotic point of view, there's not a whole lot of difference between them. Well, well, Lechelkis well, Yaakov uh, would clearly reject this idea of the of the Tzitzeliezer out of hand. It might not be. Uh, uh, the original voice, just like the mirror image is not really the woman. I mean, the woman is not really in the, in the mirror. doesn't matter. Uh, uh, the, the erotic stimulation could be identical, uh, very similar, and, and therefore the, uh, the Helkis Yaakov will be unmoved by this reason for leniency. Imkain, bottom line, Hareyot say, it turns out, it turns out that we don't actually hear the original voice of the woman. Yeah, yeah, if you, well, you ask on chat, what about hearing her voice on radio at the same time you can see her? Well, that, that's no different in concept than being in a concert hall and uh, seeing the woman on stage and hearing the voice through the loudspeakers, right? As long as long as the woman is physically present, so the possibility of erotic uh, staring exists, and the Tzitzilias would be strict on that issue. <laughs> the entire industry of pornography would collapse. Well, uh, I, I guess people who know what pornography is understand that. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, um, uh, uh, just because the rabbis disagree with each other, some lenient and some strict, you cannot conclude that therefore the prohibitive position must be correct. So all we're left with at this point is contemporary rabbis, well, they just passed away recently, but the almost contemporary rabbis who disagree with each other. According to the Chalkas Yaakov, as long as there's a, uh, uh, a possibility of erotic stimulation, prohibited. According to the Tzitzeliezer, well, all Chazal prohibited, all the Gemara prohibited was the singing voice of a woman and the recording is not that. The, uh, the, uh, uh, the radio 
transmission is not that. As far as the mirror is concerned, in gazing upon the, the, the form of the woman, that the Gemara mentioned specifically, as far as looking at the woman is concerned. There, the Gemara says flat out, the physical body or the reproduction of the body are equally prohibited. But the Gemara never said that about, uh, about uh, the singing voice. Bottom line, when you hear the radio transmission or the, um, or the uh, uh, recording, you're not actually hearing uh, the voice of a woman. Uh, it's just like you're hearing an echo. And uh, as far as hearing is concerned, the Gemara disqualifies hearing an echo. Hearing an echo, the Gemara says flat out, as far as Shofar is concerned, as far as Megillah is concerned, hearing an echo is not as good as hearing the original. As far as vision is concerned, uh, the Gemara said the reproduced image of the woman in the mirror is just as bad as the original. And the fault always lies with the, with the listener. Fault always lies with listening, but that's exactly what, what the what the Gemara was afraid of. There's therefore some room for leniency here. You can tell by his formulation that he's not so enthusiastic about it. There's some room for leniency here. Uh, we can uh, uh, derive a little room for leniency by the by a, a logical principle. There's a logical conclusion to be drawn here from the mitzvah of Shofar and the mitzvah of Megillah or other mitzvahs where you have to hear someone speak. There, where hearing is involved, the Gemara is definitively clear that it's only the physical, actual voice of the person reading the Megillah, only the physical, actual sound produced by the shofar, which is satisfactory. Any reproduction of that sound, which the Gemara calls a havara, an echo, is invalid. Uh, a reproduced voice, disembodied from the original, is, uh, is uh, no different in concept from the echo in the Gemara. And uh, therefore, as far as sounds are concerned, kol isha, if we're only concerned about the sound of the singing voice, the recording is fine, the radio transmission is fine. So regarding this, the, the, the great poskim, the great poskim are divided. Um, which opinion should you follow? Well, as with every other situation where the great poskim are divided, we're left with a problem. Which opinion should we follow? And for better or worse, there's, there's hardly anything where the, where the rabbis agree. The rabbis almost always disagree about everything. You know, being a rabbi is a full-time job disagreeing with other rabbis. That's what rabbis do. They disagree with other rabbis. You name the issue, and there are divergent opinions out there about it. Open up any page of the Shulchan Aruch. And you'll find divergent opinions, disagreeing about this, disagreeing about that, you, you name it. It's hard to point to any case where you're going to, where you're going to find uniformity and, and uh, uh, unanimous opinion regarding, regarding any issue. So what are you supposed to do? 
How are you supposed to decide when the great post can disagree? According to this rabbi, it's okay to hear uh, uh, Maria Callas in a recording. According to that great rabbi, no, it's simply prohibited. What are you supposed to do? Well, 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 well of course, of course, you can choose the the strict opinion, uh, and uh, that's that, you know that, that's pretty safe. Uh, choosing the strict opinion is very safe, but but after all, if you always choose the strict opinion on every disagreement, you're gonna your life is really gonna be miserable. You're really gonna get into a lot of trouble. Uh, you, you can't go through your life always choosing the strictest opinion on every disagreement among the rabbis. You know, you're really going to get into trouble if you do that. We need some guiding principle to help us decide which opinion to follow. Well, there are several, there are several good ways for deciding an issue like this. Method number one for deciding an issue like this is to cast the burden, to throw the burden of the decision upon someone else. Um, uh, I, I know that this great rabbi is permissive and that great rabbi is prohibitive. What should I follow? Let me ask a rabbi whom I respect to decide for me. Uh, let me accept upon myself the authority of rabbi so-and-so. I and uh, what he decides, I will follow. Um, oh, okay. The... Uh, 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 that, that, that's one methodology which is which is surely commendable and uh, and uh, and very common. If if you if you have a community rabbi who who is in charge of the halachic observance within your community, that's the rabbi who is in charge of making decisions for what is correct and incorrect for his flock. And of course, it makes perfect sense uh, to follow the opinion of that rabbi if that's the rabbi which the community has accepted upon itself as the halachic decider, or alternatively, a private individual who is who has uh, chosen a specific rabbi to rely upon to decide matters. Well, that, that's good. But but what what makes it a good idea? Why is it a good idea to choose a rabbi and follow his opinion? Why is it a good idea uh, to always follow the decision of the community rabbi? Why is it a good idea to accept upon yourself the authority of a rabbi? The, the, the idea works like this. As the Gemara says, and let's see if we can get this typed on chat correctly. Uh, There we got it. As the Gemara says, when there is a disagreement between great rabbis, the Ovid Kamar Ovid, whoever follows one opinion follows it, that's fine. But the Ovid Kamar Ovid, and anyone who follows the other opinion is also fine. It really doesn't matter which opinion of the great poskim you follow, as long as you're following one, uh, at least one of the great rabbis, you're okay. That's fine. Uh, you're, you're free to follow whichever opinion you want with one condition, with one limit, limitation. With one limitation, namely, as long 
as the choice you have made about which opinion you're going to follow is motivated l'shem shemayim. As long as you decide which opinion you're going to follow l'shem shemayim for the sake of heaven, you have made the right decision. Uh, conversely, uh, anyone who is motivated to follow this opinion or that opinion, not l'shem shemayim, not for the sake of heaven, but for some ulterior motive, has surely made the wrong decision. The value of the decision to follow this opinion or to follow that opinion depends upon the motivation which has led you to choose whichever opinion you've chosen. If you're motivated l'shem shemayim, for the sake of heaven, you've made the right decision. This rabbi, following this rabbi or following that rabbi. If you have an ulterior motive, uh, you've made the wrong decision, whichever rabbi you are following. I'll give you a few examples. You'll understand right away how it works. Someone who chooses the strict opinion so that people will think highly of him. I choose the strict opinion. So people will respect me and think of me as being a tzaddik. Well, you see, I've, I've chosen the wrong opinion. Uh, I did not choose it l'shem shemayim. I chose to be strict so that people will honor me. Ugh, I've made the wrong decision. So someone, someone who chooses the lenient decision in order to be able to fulfill more mitzvahs has made a decision l'shem shemayim. For example, uh, someone who makes a, a decision to follow the lenient post-skim on some issue, whatever the issue is, so as to enable him, so as to enable her to be able to honor parents better. Oh, the rabbis disagree among themselves about whether this is kosher or not kosher. If I follow the lenient opinions, then I will be able to honor my parents more. Well, that's a motivation, Mishem Shemayim, because you want to do more mitzvahs. Now, I do not claim for a moment that uh, introspection, I do not claim for a moment that, that knowing your own motives is easy. Uh, 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 the, easy, the easiest person in the world to deceive, the easiest person in the world to, to fool is yourself. But nonetheless, what is important here is the introspection. You have to try to figure out what your own motives are. If your motives are pure, Hashem Shemayim, you're making the right decision regarding which rabbi you're going to follow. If you have ulter ulterior motives, well, you're wrong. The Shema is right in all things, correctly formulated on chat. Correctly, correctly uh, formulated on chat. I like that formulation. Let, let, let's go uh, and look at one more issue here. If I got it. Oh, here we go. Um, one more issue for uh, for the point for for illustration. What about reversing everything we've spoken about? since the beginning of this little series. Through this entire series, we've been speaking about men hearing the singing voice of women. And of course, uh, of, of course, all the rabbis were men, and therefore all the discussions are from the male point of view. 
Uh, that's the way it was in the Mishnah. That's the way it was in the Gemara. That's the way it was throughout all the centuries. The voice is always the voice of the man, the voice of the male rabbi discussing the issues. And so, of course, everything is viewed from the male point of view. Well, let's see if we can reverse uh, the whole point of view here for a moment. What about looking at the whole issue from the point of view of the woman? Now, of course, the the, 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 the woman's voice appears nowhere in the Mishnah, no, appears nowhere in the Gemara. We don't have great female rabbis who expressed their expressed their opinions about women hearing the singing voice of men. Uh, something which they never spoke about in the Mishnah and Gemara and Shulchan Aruch and so forth and so on. Let's see what the sources have to say about this. First, looking at the Sefer Hasidim. <coughs> Sefer Hasidim was written by uh, Rabbi Huda Hasid. Actually, that's not precisely true. The, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Sefer Hasidim was written by the disciples of Rabbi Yehuda Hasid. Rabbi Yehuda Hasid was the founder of one of the great uh, Jewish movements in the Middle Ages, called the, the Hasidic movement. This, this is not the modern Hasidic movement of the Baal Shem Tov and the Hasidic Rebbe's today. This is the medieval Hasidic movement, a pietistic movement, which began in Germany in the high Middle Ages, founded by Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid, and his disciples wrote this book, which we're about to quote, the Sefer Hasidim, which presents all of the halachic thinking of the Hasidic Ashkenaz, the, uh, the 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 Ashkenaz Hasidim from the High Middle Ages. Brewery, yeah, yeah, the, well, women do speak here and there in the Gemara, but it's negligible. Uh, Sefer Hasidim says as follows: Sarich <coughs> everyone has to be careful. Shaloyishma you have to be careful not to hear the singing voice of the woman, and and, and you know that uh, in Hebrew. The semantic field, the number of words which mean prohibited, is a very long list of words. Uh, uh, there are many words in Hebrew which mean prohibited, uh, and lizaher is one of them. In modern Hebrew, lizaher means be careful about something, but that's a technical term used in halachic literature. To mean that, that you have to be careful, but such and such is prohibited, and therefore you shouldn't be involved in it. Well, well, well we don't need the Sefer Hasidim to teach us that the rabbis prohibit men from hearing the singing voice of women. I mean, that, that, that's number of, we have tons of sources for that. That's not a very interesting statement because uh, it's well known and well established. But then the Sefer Hasidim adds, Uhadim. Exactly the same law applies Leisha to a woman. Shalotishma call ish that a woman should not hear the singing voice of a man. According to the Sefer Hasidim, this is uh, uh, there's a, an element of reciprocity here. According to the to the Sefer Hasidim, this is a symmetrical prohibition, and just as men are prohibited by all of the classical sources from hearing the singing voice of women. You know, they never spoke about women because that's because they never spoke about women. But of course, women are not allowed to hear the singing voice of men after all. Since the whole reason that men 
are not allowed to hear the singing voice of women is because of the potential of erotic distraction. Similarly, women should not hear the singing voice of men because exactly the same reason, because of the possibility of erotic distraction. Uh, uh, fair is fair and equal is equal. And if it's prohibited for one in one direction, it's prohibited for the other in the opposite direction. That's the way, that's the way it is. It's true that the Mishnah never spoke about women hearing a singing voice of men. It's true. The Gemara never heard about it, but uh, it's perfectly clear that uh, that the halacha has to work equally in both directions. That's what the Sefer Hasidim says. Uh, as you are perfectly aware, this is an opinion which is not broadly embraced. In fact, I don't know anyone who follows it. Uh, as you know, this is an opinion from the high Middle Ages, which seems to have fallen by the wayside and is no longer accepted by contemporary rabbis. I just choose one example of a great contemporary rabbi. The list could be made very long. I choose the Yabia Omer. Yabia Omer that we're about to quote from was written by Rav Ovadia Yosef. He was, uh, among other things, uh, the chief Sephardic rabbi in Israel for, for a period of time. He, he was uh, not only uh, one of the most influential, one of the all-time greatest Sephardic rabbinic authorities, uh, he was uh, revered throughout the Torah-observant world, and, and of course, in issues which do not revolve around controversies between Sephardim and Ashkenazim, on the other hand, uh, there's no reason for, for Ashkenazim not to revere his opinions as well. Of course, on the controversial matters, controversial between Sephardic and Ashkenaz authorities, of course, each, each team will follow its rabbis, but uh, the tons of issues which are not controversial between Sephardim and Ashkenazim and there, there, of course, the great rabbis on the other team uh, are, uh, are of, course, of course, important for everyone. In any event, as we have not seen, there's no big difference between Sfaradim and Ashkenazim as far as Kol Isha is concerned. If there had been a big difference, any difference between them, we would have mentioned that. Uh, Ashkenaz, Ashkenaz and Sephardic rabbis view the issue the same. So let's take a look at what Rav Ovad Yosef has to say about women hearing the singing voice of men. Uh, and uh, uh, this is something which, uh, which uh, is equally important for members of the Sephardic team and the Ashkenaz team. <coughs> These are his words. Lo Hoshashim. Lo Hoshashim Benashim. We don't worry about women. We don't worry about women hearing the singing voice of men. And, and once again, uh, this is part of the vast semantic field in rabbinic Hebrew, the long list of words in, in rabbinic Hebrew, which refers to prohibition, lo uh, choshashim, uh, uh, we do not prohibit women, is technically what it means, lo choshashim benashim, we do not prohibit women, we don't worry about women, choshesh in modern Hebrew means to worry, but technically it means we do not prohibit women from hearing the singing voice of men, kevan, it should say, because women are unfeeling. Because women are unfeeling. 
That's what he says. We don't prohibit women from hearing the singing voice of men because women don't feel things. They don't feel. They don't have haragasha. They don't feel things. And uh, therefore, there's no objection to women hearing the singing voice of men. Now, what on earth does he mean when he says women are unfeeling? Uh, this is an idea which comes up over and over and over again in rabbinic literature. The, uh, uh, the unfeeling woman, um, uh, an idea which comes up in many contexts in, in, uh, in Gemara and since the days of the Gemara through contemporary poskim, here the idea comes up again, the concept of the unfeeling woman. What does it mean? Well, rabbis divide about what it means. What do rabbi, rabbis disagree with everything? The, 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 the two opinions, the two ways of understanding the unfeeling woman, number one, maybe women are not as easily erotically stimulated as men. Well, no, 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 I, I, I know very little, about, well, I don't know anything about sociology. I really don't know how to go about measuring uh, erotic stimulation in fact. But many rabbis express the opinion women are not easily, not as easily erotically stimulated as men are. Men, uh, it doesn't take much to erotically stimulate a man. Women, takes more. So not so easy. And that's what the rabbis meant when they said women are unfeeling. They meant that women are not as sensitive as men are to erotic stimulation. Men very easily erotically stimulated by the singing, singing voice of a woman. Women, on the other hand, not so easily uh, subject to erotic stimulation in cases like this. Maybe, maybe this is what the rabbis meant through the generations um, uh, when they said women are unfeeling. The other opinion, the other approach is as follows. Many rabbis through the generations held but, well, of course, of course, women can be erotically stimulated in anyone. Well, I don't know anyone, but just about any, any normal person can be erotically stimulated. Uh, that's not, uh, that's a simple fact. But the prohibition of erotic stimulation is a prohibition which falls upon men. And the prohibition of erotic stimulation does not fall upon women. If women are erotically stimulated by the, the vision of men or hearing men or whatever it is, there's no particular prohibition in that. Men, on the other hand, who are erotically stimulated by women, ah, now they're guilty of a violation. The technical name of the violation is Hirhur Avera. And here you have it typed on chat. Hirhur Avera is the technical name of the, country, of, the, of the prohibition. Men who contemplate, who erotically contemplate women are guilty of here who are vera. Uh, women, uh, women who erotically contemplate men are not guilty. The, the source in the Torah for this is the, is the, uh, the idea of the Hayam Machanech Kadosh, the, the, the uh, your communities must be holy. And as it says in Kriyat Shema, Lo Taturu do not go according to your eyes. That means uh, do not be led into eroticism by what you see 
with your eyes. Well, in any event, I, I don't know exactly which position the Abiyah Omer held, but it really doesn't matter which position you adopt. In any event, there's no problem for women to hear the singing voice of men either, because some rabbis say there's less erotic stimulation for women, or other rabbis say even if there is erotic stimulation, it doesn't matter, because women are not prohibited from that. In any event, it's the position of the Abiyah Omer, which uh, uh, he's only one of many. This is the position which dominates the thinking of contemporary poskim. In this situation, we do not have a controversy between contemporary rabbis, in which case you're going to have to make a decision one way or another. And I recommended methodology for how to how to uh, how to make a decision. That's not what's going on here. Here we do not have a controversy between contemporary rabbis. Here we have a historical development, a historical evolution. Back in the high Middle Ages, the strict opinion uh, existed that women should not hear the singing voice of men. That is a position which in the course of the generations has fallen by the wayside and is no longer embraced <coughs> by contemporary rabbis. And therefore, in a situation like this, the bottom line halacha is crystal clear and definitive. Anyone who asks, Rabbi, are women allowed to hear the singing voice of men? The answer is yes, they are permitted, flat out. Uh, being permitted to hear the singing voice of men is not the same as saying you are required to do so by a woman who wishes to be strict and follow the opinion of Sefer Hasidim, a woman who wishes uh, to be strict and refrain from uh, hearing the singing voice of men is entitled to do so. There's no reason to force uh, force a woman or try to convince a woman to, to, to hear the singing voice of men. But bottom line, uh, contemporary thinking of the postkin is lenient. Uh, with this, we're going to conclude our mini-series of uh, Shi'urim regarding Ko-Isha, hearing the singing voice of women. And uh, uh, our next topic, beginning next week in the uh, Web Yeshiva, is going to be men and women having physical contact with each other, whether it's shaking hands or, in the words of the poskim, chibuk v'nishuk, kissing and embracing, uh, to what extent is physical contact between men and women acceptable and prohibited? That will be the topic for for the next series beginning next week in the Web Yeshiva. Until then, I wish you a good week and eventually a Shabbat Shalom and look forward to seeing you all again in the continuation of the Web Yeshiva next week. Till then, Shalom Shalom.